You're listening to the AdCast with your host, Eric Elliott. I am back with my man, my man, uh, Mr. David Bates. David, that last episode that we did, um, it, it sparked uh, part two, man. And every time I get on the line with you, man, I'm either laughing or learning something, you know? And right now, I want to give you a big shout out right now. Um, you know, if you guys have not heard the first episode between David and I, go back and listen to it. And I'm sure Pete will put some notes there. But um, David is the CEO of Boca Agency. He's out of California. Uh, the guy grew up in tech, working for Apple and Google and all these other big names. And now he's serving brands like that, you know, and right now, um, He's actually on a retreat right now. So he parked some time for us to have this conversation. So he's out with his employees or his team members right now on a retreat. He's given back to his team. And in the beginning, we started talking about just, you know, uh, you know, why did you do it? Or when's the right time to take your people out? And, and David, you, you led off by saying like, you got to give them that appreciation and, we talked about like, it's not a spin that you're making. It's an investment that you're making in your people. So I want, I want you to kind of go into that. And then we got a lot of shit to cover today, you and me. So tell me about that, brother. Man, thank you so much for, for bringing me back for part two. I had a lot of fun on our first conversation. And I mean, we just kind of jive and just free flow. Yeah. Which is, which is great because uh, I don't have a good sense of filter and I just sort of like keep fucking going <laughs> no matter what. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, – so it's a lot of fun and I appreciate just, just being on here to be able to talk and, and shoot the shit. Yeah, uh, man. Tar, you know, I think, you know, the investment I, – I, I consider any invest – you know, there's – anytime you're – you know, tackling things in your career professionally, right? Mm -hmm. Whether mm -hmm. it's, uh, whether it's, should I take this job, whether, or should I go back to school? Whether should I spend this money? Like investing in yourself is never a bad investment. And then, right. you know, carry that over to when you actually have a business, investing in your employees, investing in your team is never a bad investment. Right. right? right and right. so when you, because, your team is the one that's going to do the work. You're the one that's going to, you know, make sure that that, you know, investing in yourself, if you go to school, it's up to you. It's your responsibility mm -hmm. to make that investment like profitable or fruitful or what have you. And so you want to invest in these people. And culture is such an important part, especially as we move into this hybrid or remote world. And for Bokeh, we're truly like we're we're 100% remote now. So the challenge is, you know, some of the most unique aspects of our agency are mm -hmm. things that can't be quantified, you know, visually in the work or, or the clients we work with. It's really the people. It's really the relationships. It's really the how we get along with each other. It's, yeah. it's the, that lighthearted brand of sarcasm that we practice with each other, which <laughs> you can only really experience like in person. You get some of it online, right? But it's just not the It's, it's not, not the same. same. Yeah, it's not the same. And so, you know, because those are the interactions that build loyalty, right? And any employer knows whether you're an agency, whether you are a corporation, right? Like the biggest cost of time and effort is finding good people, mm -hmm. training you good people, getting them up to speed, and then keeping them, yeah. right? And so, you know, 
salary benefits, all of that, like that, that will bring somebody on board. But what gets somebody truly invested in your mission and truly invested is the connections that they make with your people. That's true. And so that's something that these sort of retreats, which we want to make more of a habit, uh, are so important and vital for, for us, for us to do. It's also a reminder that we do this work for more than just the paycheck. Yeah. Hey, you got to have a mission that everybody's standing behind. Now, I want to jump into jump into this again. You said, you said that you guys are 100% remote. Now, there are some people who love the remote culture. And then there's some people who are like, yeah, it's okay. And then there's some people who are like, you know, I'm totally against it. Okay. So now what are some things that, you know, that you've learned by being 100%? Can you still operate effectively and efficiently by doing things? can be you can be extremely effective and, and extremely efficient and we have been right i think you know where we want to continue to improve is is increasing the frequency of you know when we're able to bring the team together or bring people together in the field if there's a production and then being able to be more intuitive about when certain parts of the workflow Uh Um, or if a campaign is big enough to justify it when it makes sense for us to just like go out and meet in person, right. Or like meet and do that workshop with the client in person, as opposed to completely remote. And for myself, when it comes to building relationships with clients, like I'm making that effort to try to like break out of the screen. So, you know, even, uh, if that means, you know, driving, uh, because now people are working from, they're not all in San Francisco, they're on the other side of the Bay. And so now I'm going to, you know, but like, okay, I'm going to drive an hour, you know, hour, 15 minutes to meet you for coffee, you know, for an hour, because that, that FaceTime, those relationships and building that outside the the formalities of a uh, 14 inch screen are so important. So, um, no you're good like i i think i think another thing too david is that even some of the brands that you may be doing business with they too are not you know typical behind the desk like they were before you know so so it's all changed that much too so i see the need to really get out and kind of let's just say press flesh right there's definitely a need to press flesh generational shift to the there's a generational aspect to this too mm-hmm. right i think um millennials and zoomers and, and younger you know workers are just generally uh more interested in living in a frictionless world living in a more agile world a world where they can make the decisions on where to move or where to work or how you know how to interact like we don't want to necessarily be i mean millennials we've been you know we've we've lived through three recessions so we don't really want to be tied down to any <laughs> anything anymore like we're so scared of of anything that requires debt or, or being in place so the ability to move and work remotely uh it can be extremely helpful to somebody's bottom line so i think that's one one thing to consider is there's a generational component to it but just yeah. the other thing is you are you know Uh, when it comes to hiring, like there are going to be some people who are just not as interested in being completely remote. They know that it's not as, as good for you and, and you respect that and they're probably not the right fit. 
right? Even if the most talented person. Um, so we know going in that actually one of the criteria is that person who, uh, who their life, their fulfillment, all of that is going to be enhanced by working in a, in a, a culture that gives them that flexibility right. to be able to balance life and work on their terms. Um, and give people and i think you know the right person appreciates that well can you can you still be creative even though you're remote absolutely uh i think it actually you know you use it to your benefit because now you have access to creatives and mm -hmm. creative thinking that's informed by a bunch of different environments as opposed to the same environment mm. right so like you know uh you know, we, I live in the bubble of the Bay Area, right? right. But the right. bubble of the Bay Area isn't the same as, you know, the bubble of Nashville, Tennessee, mm -hmm. the little dot of blue in a sea of deep, deep red, right? So <laughs> you get a different perspective on those on things when you, you have, you know, whatever our producers was living in, in Tennessee, right? Like mm -hmm. you get that. And, and those are those are insights that, you know, those are those small day-to-day -day interactions when you mm -hmm. go to the grocery store, yep. right? That you can really- You then... can feel the community. You get you you kind of uh, adopt some of the surroundings. You become like tofu almost, you know? And it's, it's, those are the sort of insights that are important because that's what gives you perspective. And mm -hmm. cre the best creative is creative that has perspective and is able to tell a story that is universal to a human condition, not just the San Francisco condition, not just the coastal liberal condition or the mm. uh, interior American condition, right? right. Uh, a story, you know, and when it's done right, uh, you know, I think, I think Obama and maybe it was his, uh, his carry speech that really like launched him. Right. But like there's 2004, this, yeah. yeah, there's this beautiful aspect of American culture where, you know, your child is my child sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I am my brother's keeper. Mm -hmm. And, and that's informed by being able to tell a story that we can all put ourselves in the shoes in. Right. But to be able right. to do that, we need to listen to each other's stories. And so having, you know, a remote environment increases the likelihood of us to be able to have that diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of geography, uh, in addition to the d diversity of people that really yeah. then contributes to telling great stories that hopefully uh, connect with the, the largest audience. So do you believe that, you know, being in that virtual remote culture can actually um, better the creative and have you seen that? Because you I mean you've had both, where you were all together, and now you have it where you're all virtual. So, can that make your creative better? Uh, and I think that you know, for Bokeh, we've achieved a lot of our growth, a lot of our biggest growth, when we've been separated from each other. Mm. Um, maybe it's because I'm not annoying people and walking around the <laughs> office and. It's funny at dinner. You're interrupting you're, them. You're interrupting at dinner. Uh, my my partner Sebastian tells me like, yeah, with every new employee, I always I always make the recommendation, you know, <laughs> after they start and say, hey, read up on ADHD. Like, 
read up on ADHD. Trust me. Like he is, he is incredible, but he's going to frustrate the shit out of you. If you do. <laughs> and I find, I mean, I, to, to me, it's, that's oh, kinda, it's like a bittersweet thing because I hate that. I hate to think that people have to like, you know, compensate for some mm-hmm. of those things in me. But at the, at mm-hmm. the same time, I appreciate the, the empathy to do that. But uh, yeah, kind of going back, you know, for Bokeh, we, we've had a tremendous amount of success brought on and built new relationships during this time. And yeah. it hasn't, we've had to learn how to be creative and you don't get those things you miss. You miss those whiteboarding sessions where things mm. flow back and forth so seamlessly and you just write something on a board and then they write and you connect the dots. You miss some of that. Yeah. Right. And there's no replacing yeah. that sort of thing, but you, you can still create, you can still talk on the phone you don't always have to have your video playing you can walk around and i think in in a sense that ability to balance work and life in a more fluid way as opposed to eight hours of work on and then life really enables you to see the creative and see the storytelling just as you go through the minutiae right like Mm -hmm. as you you know i'm playing with my nieces and suddenly an idea comes to mind on how to position something, right? You bring up you bring up a great point, though. Um, you, you know, it's almost like, a, and we, you and I talked about this a little bit before things started, like where um, you just talked about like playing with your nieces, and then something can come to you, and then you can run to your computer, or whatever, and you can start working. But, but like, how is it with um, uh, like being remote? You know, the whole creative. We talked about creative. I want to dive into that a lot more, but then now it's not like it's like we're pitching anymore it's almost like we're we're either talking or telling stories but then you know you had an interesting approach on that that i wanted to come back to we'll be right back with more of the adcast after a word from our sponsor so working with the craft crew from the get-go was very easy dealing with eric right on the front end i think it was thanksgiving day and he was emailing with me not that i expected him to return my emails that's just the kind of service from the get-go that drew me to this company and ultimately led me to selecting this company and then dealing with terry and some of the other guys who were very professional they walked me through the process of what this video production uh, procedure would be like it was very helpful and very comforting knowing that i would be taken care of and guided through this process and then when the film crew got here they were on time they were sharp they knew what they were doing everything was set up efficiently and i'm impressed you know when i was growing up i remember this contractor by the name of henry he was amazing i mean henry would come over and we hired him to add a room onto our house he would show up with a hammer nails wood and a crew of two and he would do so much inside that house I even watched him add on a whole room, just with a hammer and nails. Here's a hammer. Now, could I do the same thing that Henry did? No. You have to have skill, time, team, and talent. So if you can't do the same thing that we can do with the same tools, you deserve a very important placement.
we always want to lead with creative. And so what that exactly means um, when it comes to leading creative, everybody has a different interpretation on. For me, mm -hmm. it's always meant, uh, and maybe it's because I just kind of have a naturally sort of abrasive um, personality where I don't necessarily see whether or not there's like, you know, we did a rebranding for a prominent um, uh, coffee startup in the Bay Area called Phil's Coffee. Okay. We did that when I sent them, I sent the CEO a deck, had never met him before, just sent him an email and I said, hey, um, your, your branding kind of sucks. And <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the, the, like, you know, it's like, there's so many things like, but what I meant is like, I know your story. We're both from right. the Bay. We're both, right. we're both Peninsula kids, right? Like, okay. Okay. And I can't connect your father's story with what I'm seeing in the store. And it like breaks my heart because this is such a powerful story. Right. And so this is the way mm. that I'm thinking about it. And, you know, this is just, a couple of little design brainstorms and I yeah. just want to send this off as food for thought. Right. You, you So hold on. You, you just sent the deck or you, or you sent like uh, kind of um, uh, a little bit to make him think like, wow, you know, I need to pay attention to this. So you sent him a little taste of something. No, I actually sent him a deck because I didn't honestly know, like this is really, early, this is when I didn't realize that the deck that I was sending him was essentially mapping out an entire brand strategy. Mm. and that I essentially kind of did all the work that then they would work with us to do. But like, yeah. I already had all the answers because I already just wrote them out. Right. 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 Uh, because that was a big lesson for me too, to learn what brand strategy was. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky to have sort of a mentor who, who used to, uh, she used to be a VP of uh, creative at uh, Starbucks and, and Target and all of that. And, oh man, you're the leg up. You're the leg up. I mean, well, you know, this is the serendipitous connections that you make by shooting somebody a message on LinkedIn and asking if they want to grab coffee. Yeah. And, you know, her thing was like, this is not rocket science. This is just leading a horse to water. And this is just storytelling. Wow. And, you know, you get, we, I used to get very intimidated by that word strategy. What's a strategy? What is a strategy? And it really is just storytelling and it really is just having empathy for people and understanding it. Mm. And so anyways, I kind of use that, you know, I bring that Phil's analogy up because I, we led with creative, we led with an idea at the very least, the hope was that it would facilitate a conversation, which it did. It also yeah. facilitated one of the, you know, uh, most endearing compliments that, that we've ever gotten, which is like, it feels like, you know, us better than we know ourselves damn right um and so from a cold email that built a relationship that then spurred with us actually working with them to you know redo their brand strategy and um uh explore you know their brand identity yeah and so kind of going and we've always taken those sort of steps right when uh we were pitching when we were doing an rfp for Instagram for one of their mm -hmm. largest global business campaigns at the time. Um, we had this storytelling approach, but we figured the best way to, 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 to pitch it would be to just test it on ourselves. 
So mm. we just created a film to test it on ourselves, right? Um, and that became part of the, the pitch. But so there was always this sort of practice of just like, you know, using our creativity to hopefully, that was in the context of the pitch, the Instagram one, but a lot of times I'm just trying to use our creativity, whether it's an idea we had for a post or we're testing a, a cinemagraph or we're testing a new storytelling uh, technique as, yep. as a way to, like, if we're going to test it, let's test it with a brand in mind and let's see yeah. if we can use that as an opportunity to start a conversation. And what I found is that those conversations tend to be much more casual Mm -hmm. and more interactive more engaging because it goes into it like wow. i don't i don't know your brand i don't know what you're doing internally i was just i was just thinking of you and i i would love to learn i would love to meet and uh if anything i hope this maybe could serve as maybe some food for thought or inspiration or it's complete trash but uh just know that i was thinking of you and that idea of like being i mean i think people tend to be maybe tickled by that i i think you know also you know you told me about what phil said the phil's coffee person said you know you know their brand well but it can also kind of break down some walls because they don't see you as pitching now because now the talking turns into a conversation versus a pitch because i think when people are being pitched to they are reserved, if you know what I'm saying. They're a little reserved. They're a little standoffish. They got their guard up versus that conversation. Now they kind of lean in and listen a little more. Is that kind of how it worked out? I mean, yeah, the idea is to try to break down the wall so that we see each other on the same team or on the same level. Mm -hmm. Because, like, pitching just sounds like marketing speak, right? Yeah. And yep. Yep. I'm, not a, I'm not a marketer, like, I, I very much have leaned into this positioning that we have for our agency that we're not ad people. You know, this is not what I studied. This is not what I went to school for. This is, I never worked in an agency before starting one. Right. Like, so, you know, with all of that, like that sort of speak, I can hang in a conversation. Right. But what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the stories that we want to tell. I want to talk about what are your goals and yeah. then like, oh, let's just spitball. Like, I want to talk about ideas. Um, I want to learn about like what your everyday looks like because that's how mm -hmm. I learn about like, I don't know how to do my career unless mm -hmm. I learn about the things that you're actually doing. And so in this case, it's less of me pitching an idea to you and more of you telling me what like the like what your condition is like. What are the things you work on? What are the questions you're answering? And then in the process of you telling me that, now I have a forum, I have an opportunity to just spitball some ideas and then it becomes that sort of more natural back and forth. Yeah, but does that depend on the size of the brand though that you're working with? Because you know, there, there may be, let's just say, you're just pulling it one out of the air, like Nike, you know, um, they may want to have a different conversation than, you know, someone who's doing half the revenue that they are doing, right? An Instagram example that I brought up to you, right? That conversation, like we got that opportunity from me sending a LinkedIn message to a marketing manager 
This was at the time Instagram was just really starting to incorporate ads into the feed. Mm -hmm. And at the time when they were first doing it, they were being very intentional and curating that content, right? So the ads Mm -hmm. like fit into people's feed and not be like um, uh, obtuse. But I contacted her and like, hey, I would love to get some insight into how you are, you know, either building these ads or, or just like how you're how you're approaching this, right? Because it's a sensitive topic, like introducing ads to a space where your users aren't used to it and they could see that as almost like selling out. Yeah. And so, Uh, yeah, exactly. It was just really like a networking opportunity, a coffee and a lunch that then sort of, you know, led to us keeping in touch every now and then to I'm heading over to London and was just curious, like I always like to network with new people. Do you have anybody that, you know, any colleagues that you would recommend? And then she recommends me to somebody. And then, you know, I meet with him and we have a good chat. And then he's like, you know, I, I have this RFP. Uh, I have this, I have this brief. Would you be interested in it? Right. Wow. But like, that's, you know, and you go from start to finish, right? Like this is a nine month journey, right? Yeah. Oh, it's worth it's a, it's one that's worth it too. I literally had like an Instagram baby. So it was <laughs> like cuz you know, it started with the coffee conception and then we <laughs> we had the we won the pitch 9 months later, right? But like it, you know, Yeah. We've never been opposed to playing that slow game cuz that slow game mm-hmm. allows us the opportunity to really learn about the person across from us and learn right. about their market. And I think that's much, much more valuable mm-hmm. than just going in in with an assumption that you have the solutions they need. Right. You don't know everything. Now, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's so, it's so interesting, David. Um, all of us started from coffee and just being able to, to talk. Do you think a lot more agencies need to take that approach or a lot more creatives need to take that approach and just stop trying to pitch all the damn time and just have a conversation? Well, yeah, I think, I think having a conversation and treating your client as more than a means to an end is Mm -hmm. just a good practice regardless of what business you're in. Right. I think for creatives, uh, understanding inherently that your ideas um, your ideas as a starting point for conversation as opposed to using your ideas as a, I want to sell this. Got Those it. are two very different sort of things. Mm. So we just completed a spec project that we did internally. Okay story and we love we absolutely love this story right uh the story of a taco truck in la a pair of brothers they started this taco truck and they realized that uh it wasn't going to work unless they had their mother's tortillas their mother lived in tijuana still so what did they do uh, well, I, I, you would think that the you know logical thing would be to just get their mother's recipes recipe and make the tortillas in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, but you know the logical thing doesn't tell the best story, um, and it's also not true. What they really did is, if they're going to get their mother's tortillas, it needs to be made by their mother, and wow. so 
twice a week, they would go from Los Angeles to Tijuana and then smuggle their mother's tortillas back <laughs> into the States. <laughs> and they make these most amazing tacos, right? right. Uh, and we just love just the authenticity of this story and just, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and it was very like, you know, the older brother went to his younger brother and said, on his 18th birthday and said, hey, I can give you money or we can start a business. What do you want to do? And so we thought like, okay, this story, we could probably apply this story to several different brands. Let's think of yeah. a few and let's think about how we can film it and capture it in a way that gives us some flexibility yeah. to play around with, you know, how do we incorporate this type of brand versus this type of brand? And now, you know, we have this and we've tested it on a couple of brands, but it gives me something to start a conversation with. And I can share it with a contact or I can share it with somebody new and just say, hey, you know, team uh, creatively inspired, thinking we wanted to test some new things. Mm -hmm. We decided to play with your brand and I would love to get your thoughts on this or feedback or thing, anything, right? Like, I don't mean this to step on any toes. I, right. I really just want right. to use this to start a conversation, if anything. Um, I go in with the expectation that, and my team knows it too, we're not trying to sell this. If it leads to a campaign, if we create a whole bunch of business stories telling about taco trucks, and sushi trucks and boba trucks and all the trucks yeah super right but we know that this is essentially made to i don't want to say made to fail but made to go nowhere except hopefully get me in the room to talk to people and learn more about what are the stories they really need help telling Right. Uh, and so if you go in with that approach, that creative is meant more as a conversation starter, um, as a conversation piece, as opposed to going in and trying to, you know, make something that's going mm -hmm. to hopefully sell something. Mm -hmm. uh, I, that's what I would like to see more, maybe agencies, more creatives do, because then it shows attachment on their own work, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of the hardest thing for a lot of creatives to escape from the ego of like, I made this oh, yeah. and yeah. I, this is what I want to create. Right. Well, well David, who, who gets to be creative though? Uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, I think one of the things that you and I talked about last time we were on the, on our uh, one episode, we talked about uh, the show Ratatouille, the old, I think it's a Disney movie. And, uh, and the chef Gusto said, anyone can cook. Right. And in this, we're saying, you know, anyone can be creative. So in an idea like that, like the one you just gave me example of the spec spot, um, you know, and being remote, you know, it takes a lot of coordination. But then, you know, who has the ability to create? Who do you allow to create? Is it everyone? But everybody contributes. I mean, obviously, you still have somewhat of a structure in place. We have a creative director. We we have a producer, right? Um, we have our chief creative officer. But ideas off of each other, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, perhaps one person is taking ownership to decide which of those ideas to incorporate and which not, right? And that's the final cut that we give any mm -hmm. creative director. But 
you know, and we're kind of like using, you know, so in that dynamic for a spec piece, right? Like where I come into play, I can give some feedback on, on story and stuff like that. But where I come into play mostly is like, okay, if we want to incorporate a brand, what's a good way for us to do that in a way that doesn't feel jarring. So it is a collaboration inherently. um, And we all take mutual ownership of the creative knowing that we also trust a teammate to make certain decisions and have that certain final cut. And the same goes with the work that we do with clients, right? We bring them into the process as much as it makes sense to, and we want them to be at the table making decisions with us, not necessarily us presenting them with Hmm. a solution or presenting them with, you know, this is the only two options you have. Like we want to, put the solutions on the table from our standpoint and we want to talk with them and we want to see what resources they have. And so you break down the process pretty much for them. Active creating um, as, as mutual and as collaborative as possible. Now collaboration is such an overused word, right? Uh, We really see ourselves as an extension of whoever we're working with. And so, you know, when we are working with or whether it is Google or whether it is Airbnb or anything like that for that project or for that campaign, for that brief, right? Like we are on your team. Got it. You so you you guys are side by side while doing this now. Now, David, when, you know, a lot of people, they don't understand the creative approach. And like, you know, like even when we've done some creative for people, they, they think that you, they hire you and then you come out and either film or you design, and then that's it. And they don't understand a lot that goes in between. Now I, I want to ask you about like, you know, with creative, does it open up ways for you to kind of like uh, increase the talent pool? And I think it's, it's almost like, I see this as, now that we're talking about like uh, the beginning of our conversation with being remote, does this help you with the talent pool and being remote and creative and all? I mean, how does that help David? Access to just a wider talent pool of creatives to consider, which Mm -hmm. I think is actually, you know, there's a big, there's a big conversation right now, you know, in the industry when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, Mm-hmm. and all of you know all of the different ways how do we open up opportunities for people and i think we could actually use this remote world this remote work world that we're living in to get at the heart of you know being able to create more opportunities and more access to creatives in more places and that's ultimately going to benefit the work because mm. if you have teammates that are not in the same bubble I'm in what Fox News would consider the San Francisco liberal elite bubble. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, when you're in the when you're in the liberal elite coastal elite bubble, uh, you need some perspective outside of that because we're obviously speaking to more than one type of consumer or more than one type of American. Yeah. Um, and so that's where having this remote environment, having employees that are spread across the country in different locations and around having partners around the world yeah. uh, where that's become such a uh, such an important and such a, a plentiful resource for us because we can test 
if we have an international campaign, I can call a producer that's in that country and test an idea on them. And they could say, mm. oh, no, that would not resonate at all because we don't think that way. Like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Right. And and that's so valuable to have those insights, to have those plugins. And so when it comes to hiring, right. now we can start to look beyond the traditional spheres and then we can start uh. to challenge ourselves as employers to see through people's portfolios, to see through right. who they've worked with, to see through where they've worked, which I think is really when we're talking about things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's what we have to really attack is how do we open up opportunities and see through to potential mm -hmm. of a person as opposed to simply just treating this on a surface level, you know, we need more representation in the office because now the office is remote and, but that's, we can use that to our advantage to actually find those people and create those opportunities. So, um, you know, from it's a, interesting. So from a standpoint of like doing the best creative work, making sure that work is well-informed and has a diversity of perspectives, like leaning into it right. to hiring people, um, you know, there's a lot that, being remote uh, is a detriment to and that you have to mitigate things like when to come together and how to build that culture. But there's yeah. a lot of advantages to being able to widen the net. And I agree. I agree. That I think is starting the industry and in advertising, marketing, creative is just starting to scratch the surface on how to widen that net, how to talk about uh, issues, whether it's, you know, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, whether it is, mm -hmm. uh, I just saw this article in Adweek mm -hmm. about masculinity, which I saw like advertisers don't know how to talk about masculinity. Um, well, some advertisers don't know how to talk about this. Some advertisers don't know how to talk about race. They still don't know how to talk about race. Um, and, 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 and that, I, I I'll never forget this, you know, and I, I want, I got something that I'm, I'm dying to ask you, but I'll never forget this. I was, um, uh, on a meeting, um, with, um, uh, a client and they had, uh, a person that was responsible, uh, let's just say they're, uh, in-house agency person kind of thing. And this person was talking to me about, um, gaining more business from black people because the majority of their business was black people. And, and I was telling him that, you know, there's two things that, you know, um, that he needs to understand. And I said, it's not a color thing. It's a culture thing. You need to understand culture is what I told him. And, and he argued and he argued and I said, well, what research do you have? because I got over 40 years of research that says I know the culture <laughs> a hell of a lot. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I, and I think it's, it's, and I'm saying that to say this, that some brands or businesses, they may say they needed like to their target may have been, you know, black people, but they are afraid or they don't understand how to do it. So they just, hired this person that had nothing to uh, nothing to they didn't know anything about the culture the first thing is 
I don't care how big the bag is, David. If if the bag is big and then the target is, okay, I need to go after the Jewish American audience. I don't know a lot about the Jewish American audience except my friends, right? So what am I going to do? The, the right thing for me to do is tap into them and tap into people like you so I can understand the culture. You know, what you, know, you know what I'm saying? There's a competency that comes with the culture. So I, I wanted to ask you about that, like the, like, uh, like history and, and creative and, and how, let's just say history and culture and how that affects creative. So That's what I, I was dying to ask you. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you bring up the, the difference between color and culture. And I brought up just a moment ago about this article I wrote about masculinity. Right. Mm -hmm. And you talk about, you know, what is important to know or have empathy for as a creative so that you mm -hmm. can actually speak to your audience. You look at the black community, especially in the United States and how masculinity yeah. is in that, you know, affects the black community. You look at a community where especially like, you know, where you're talking 70s, 80s, whatever, where women have really had to fill in the gaps in masculinity. Right. That's where you get these very strong black women, you know, and where you have a lot of broken, broken homes, mm -hmm. a lot of times, right? Whether that's due to policy or what have you, right? And so understanding like how that affects then the family dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. culturally, even before like you get to sort mm -hmm. of like the war on drugs or how that like, you know, uh, uh, you know, affected, you know, Minorities, yeah, marginalized affected, communities affected, more exactly you look at you look at a, a pre-civil rights era where outside of the home you know uh black men they mm -hmm. didn't they weren't given as much of the respect they couldn't necessarily like stand up and have that they were kind of emasculated socially in many ways just because yeah. of racism and prejudice mm -hmm. and all of that and mm -hmm. so then like the home when they got home that became their area where they can you know really be more masculine right Their home turf home turf their home turf so i mean i'm generalizing the experience like right. and it's not my experience to truly understand but what i try but to it's create what you space understood for what i try to create space for is understanding that like this is a community when you're talking about what masculinity is what femininity is what all of that is like they have a different interpretation that is informed by their experiences in this mm -hmm. country and how they've had to fill in the gaps uh, for what they weren't getting, what, for the respect they weren't getting out in the world, they had to fill that in at home. Right. When, when dad wasn't around, mom had to step in and take that role too. Right. And that's something that if you understand, if you have empathy and room for that, now you can start to craft creative that speaks to that audience. Right. And I think that's important. Otherwise, you're simply trying to craft creative and you're, you know, did you say craft creative? Do you say craft? Yeah, I say perfect. craft. Yeah. That's perfect, because that's the name of one of our companies. Perfect. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you didn't even have to, you didn't even have to pay. <laughs> I got nothing. Craft creative. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you can, you can, that's when you can account for culture and not just color. Right. Mm -hmm. The Jewish, the Jewish American experience, you know, that, that you pointed to how that informs my creative. And I've taken a really big interest in, um, because 
DE and I has become such a large conversation in the industry. Yeah. But, but also like be just paying lip service to like, that's just what people want to hear right now. Like how do we actually, how do we actually like tackle that? Right. Because that's the difference, you know, like between hiring for color versus hiring for culture. Right. Like uh, we're not, we don't want to, fill for quotas we don't want to make we want to open up opportunities and that's more that's more than just like hiring like what does somebody look like or how exactly or whatnot it's understanding the different things that affect how they got to where they are and perhaps Mm -hmm. us realizing that maybe we need to do more to uh make up for the gaps of uh uh, if they've never worked with a big brand, if they've never, mm-hmm. because of where they live or anything like that. And I come to that, it's become such a, an interest of mine because I realized that actually, like, there's a lot of privileges that, that I have. Um, but one of those privileges, you know, beyond being like white cis male, uh, growing up in an area like the Bay Area, um, mm-hmm. which is fairly affluent area where I grew up in. So I went to public school system that mm-hmm. was very well resourced. Mm-hmm. But I had this other influence, which was this culture of being grown up as uh, Jewish American. And in that, I was never discouraged from any sort of expression, artistic expression, creative expression. And I was never discouraged not to think of that as a potential career path, right? Mm. Yeah. In fact, like I had so many examples, right? That were, my dad used to play Adam Sandler's Kronika song in the truck when he would pick <laughs> us up, right? Like, and we would, you know, those were all the examples of all the Jews that made it in entertainment, right? Like it's kind of part of our culture to, to celebrate, uh, to to not only celebrate that but to actually see that as a means of uh, as a success path right yeah and yeah. that's that's a hundred years built into jewish american culture from european jewish immigrants that came in the late uh 19th century early 20th century when wow. the only jobs that they could get originally were working inside like a clothing factory and being a seamstress or uh working the um working in theater right and so it's easy to see how these more creative oriented sort of maybe craft jobs or things like that or performance-based jobs turned into you know uh jews uh you know having a presence in the movie industry having a presence in broadway theater having a presence in television and mind blown right and mind blown and all of that like now becomes part of our the cultural heritage that's passed down where like this is a way of this is a legitimate way of assimilating in american culture this is a success path right in the same way that a lot of asian american uh immigrants first generation in this country they see becoming a doctor as the best success path for yeah their kid so uh is extremely humbling 
to know that Dude. like I was a beneficiary of that, even insofar as it's not like my parents said like, oh, you can do it. It's just the fact that they didn't discourage it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they didn't discourage it. And if it was something that I wanted to do, then they did their best to empower it. That yeah. in and of itself just makes a huge difference in the development of any kid's life, especially. Yeah, a well, absolutely. I, I, you know, and it's, 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 it's funny you said that because it's, it wasn't like uh, they just kind of work with what they were given is what they did, you know? And, and, and I think now um, this is such a great conversation too, David, because a lot of people, they're afraid to touch on something like that. And in in that, when I said mind blown, it kind of lets me know, like when you said a lot of, you know, Jewish Americans were kind of forced to the arts and that's why you have a lot of them in the entertainment or even in the film industry right now. So, I mean, that, that, that explains a lot. I never understood that David, but that's a, that's a, that's a great history lesson there. Um, You know, you know, we talked about like, you know, the future of agencies before um, and, how the remote culture and I, I I interviewed someone the other day and they have like a 300 person agency and they're a hundred percent remote. And, and you got to have a hell of a lot of structure and um, good people behind that. And what you're doing now by taking care of your people. Uh, one of the questions I have for you is like, where do you see agencies going in the future, David? That's a that's a hard question. That's a hard question to answer. I mean, my vision of an agency is like, you know, what I'm trying to scale is I'm trying to scale a client relationship model. I'm trying to mm. scale a model that is predicated on, you know, sort of mutual empathy between the client and the vendor and us working as that extension, kind of seeing ourselves as part of the same team to build the best campaigns, to tell the best stories, to do all okay. that, right? Uh, that's the model that I'm trying to grow. Now that model can, that can model can be a model that involves 15 to 20 people. That model can grow to 200 people. Right. But I'm more concerned about breaking down the barriers, those traditional barriers of formalities Mm -hmm. that keep clients apart from the creative that they're working on. And if you're apart from the creative that you're working on, then it's easy to be, you know, to kind of just to not hold as much empathy for it, right? It becomes easy to write it. It becomes easier to blame the agency. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I'm going to blame the agency, right? Like, I don't like, I don't like that, right? Like, there's no blaming the agency. We're here to solve problems together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I see, it. and then I see Bokeh's role in that environment as we know what we're good at, but we're also not necessarily. So for us, we're great at building uh, integrated campaigns. Okay. You know, we like to work with our clients at a campaign level, thinking across channels, you know, but integrated campaigns that are kind of harbored, that are kind of like grounded with some type of content play, some type of whether it's animation, video, photography, what have you. But we also understand that creative, especially in this environment, has become so expansive mm-hmm. in the sense that it touches and it expands upon everything. So we've done website designs, we've designed identities, we've we've touched a lot of different areas of creative. We've worked with influencers, we've we've done all of those sort of things because that's part of building an integrated 
campaign and telling an integrated story. Right. We want to be that person that a client trusts to not necessarily do everything, but to help them connect the dots and bring the right partners to the table. And so I see a lot of successful relationships moving in that direction where instead of working with one sort of agency of record, you kind of almost work with like a, a conglomerate of like maybe smaller, more boutique companies that all know how to interrelate and work with each other and communicate with each other. And sort gotta, of like naturally gotta play, break down. Got to play nice in the sandbox. It's funny you said that. I got a call from someone in Rhode Island um, uh, about an hour ago before you and I started talking. And that was the main topic of conversation. It was like, he said, I have a client that loves your work. And, and he said, I'm making this call because what you're, he's asking us to do, uh, we can't do it. And he loves your work. How do we partner? And he said, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to get cut out. And I said, look, man, that means a lot, you know? And, and that's where you have to play nice in the sandbox. So, I mean, I think exactly what you're saying, um, it, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. I've never had the standpoint of, you know, white labeling or, and I think this is kind of also part of the unique way that Bokeh was grown too, where I think of having direct relationships with the partners that we work with. So I never mm-hmm. worked with an agency above us, even though we were like tiny mm-hmm. in transit that that's how like, Oh, if I went to a good B or something like that, when it comes down to like, you know, doing the production, they, could outsource that to another agency right? or that agency, you know, or another two agencies and it becomes this chain of agencies. Mm. And, and hopefully along the way that you're dealing with a, a good one where you can still play nice in the sandbox, like we talked about. But then like, you know, at that chain of agencies, I don't have necessarily access to the client. I'm not in the room right, right. with them. Yeah, so they can't. It's almost a telephone game. If you come up with something, you can't really relay the message the right way because you're going through somebody who's going through somebody else. And that, you know, I think is always the most frustrating and the most annoying thing in creative is to mm-hmm. have to rely on somebody else to communicate your creative, right? Yeah. Um, and so having not been in, in that position, uh, we to being able to work directly with our clients. And because we work directly with our clients, we saw the other agencies they work directly with. Wow. And so, okay, then it, it just becomes connect about connecting the triangle. Mm-hmm. They're already working, you know, when we were at Airbnb, okay, on um, doing all of their product marketing content, all mm-hmm. of their, uh, all of their content for this launch. They're also working with, you know, this agency Kodo doing all of the brand identity for this launch. Let's just connect the dots and together. And not only is that going to be easier for the client, if like we're already communicating with each other and they don't have to like do the telephone back and forth, but it makes the campaign more cohesive. Do, do you, you know, you, do you feel like, you know, over the last year or so, especially since all this COVID stuff, because I think COVID kind of made us all grow up. We had to learn things that we didn't learn. We didn't know before. Do you feel like, you know, as a, as a business owner, you've, you've matured a lot more? 
a lot more. I don't know. I'm like the most fucking immature son of a bitch. You're not that you're not you're not that immature because I, I can tell you said you said something earlier in the call that I was like, damn, David, that's like that's pretty deep. Uh, and you were talking about like your partners and you were like, you know, this person does that. I mean, I know this is standard. This is standard business practice. You were talking about like one person does the financials, the other person does this. And, you know, and I focus on my area. You know, I got an ultimate decision. But still, it's like that takes business maturity to know when to say when to say, hey, you got to do this. I got to do that. And we can partner together and just make this work. The uh, what the pandemic, what working remotely has really done is it's 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 forced. It's forced a lot of trust and really just relying and leaning into, you know, we can't be everywhere quite yeah. literally. Right, right. And we can't even be in the same place. And so I need to trust that my partners are making decisions. I need to trust that my employees are doing the work. Now you won't always get that. Sometimes you'll have you you'll have an employee who's not working responsive, right? True, true. That's true. Uh, and you have to deal with that. Or sometimes it's just I've never been one to like, uh, you know, if it's slow, it's slow, right? Like we'll try to find things to work on, like or work on yourselves, your, you know, or work on yourselves. And part of working on yourselves is like, Hey, if I don't have necessarily a lot of work for you, I don't need you to be in front of your computer necessarily waiting for me to say something to you. Like mm-hmm. just live, man. Right. Like that's a gift. I don't need I, like, I don't give a fuck how many hours you put in as long as the work that when we have it gets done and when I need to talk to you, you're accessible, right? Like, I don't want to have, it was the same thing, you know, if you have an office space, people, even if they don't have work, they feel compelled to come into the office, right? Because that's just the paradigm. Yeah. They just come in. So, because then how do you know if they're going to be working and you're paying for them for those hours, right? True. But uh, maybe it's changing the way we think about what we're paying for is like, we're, you know, what we're really is we're paying for, uh, we're paying for effort and we're paying for effort at those moments when they're needed the most, right? So like, if it's slow and I don't have work for you, like, go enjoy the afternoon, like, get out of here, right? But when I need you, I need that maximum effort for, you know, that 36 hour, like, turnaround right and if it involves a weekend like that's what i like i'm i'm going to yeah. depend on you for that yeah. and yeah. so not working in person has really kind of you know forced us to accept that like we really depend on our employees and we depend on our partners so much more and i think that you know when it has happened at least in my company's overall development kind of happened during a natural like evolution as me and my partners have gotten older and have learned how to best respect each other's sort of spheres of influence and where we exhibit our power and creativity within the company. Hmm. So, I mean, how about just being accessible for your, your clients? And because, you know, normally you have, sometimes the clients might want to call you, but you know what I've noticed though, late, lately more and more, they don't want to call you now. Clients don't call as much as they used to. Communicate with clients. <laughs> Say it again. 
with your clients or like, how is that? How are your interactions going? Well, I mean, with me, I don't, I don't talk to them a lot. I, uh, I, I, I mostly add color to a meeting, you know, um, you know, to support, you know, either the account manager or the production team who is dealing with whatever the situation is with, uh, with our partners. I want to be able to equip them so much that they don't need me. That's, that's what I want to be able to do. I want to equip them so they don't need me to be able to do those things. I want to get the coaching call to say, Hey, um, you know, here's something that's going on. I have a couple solutions I want to present to you and tell me what you think so that I can make a great opinion and take it back to our partner. That way I'm still influencing, you know, the decisions I'm still aware, but it's not me actually doing it. The truth is if, you know, you don't want me handling your, your account directly. You don't, that's just true. Am I good at it? Yes, I'm good at it. But, you know, there's a lot of other things that have my attention too. You got other companies and you got team members and you have to grow the business. You know, you, you become a brand, you do a lot more things. It's very, it's very difficult. So, you know, the, the, the client or the partner, as we call them, they shouldn't want me uh, to be there. My job is to make sure I get my team to that point where the client feels like the client partner feels like they don't need me. What you just said has been was a huge lesson in the early years of Bokeh. How do we get to that? Because at a certain point, if things broke down, you know, the client would come to David. Yep. You know, the client would, you know, and then suddenly that creates a back channel of communication that can throw everything off. Yep. Right. And create a lot of discord. Yes. And you minimize, and, and you minimize the actual person who's in contact with them too. And like you know, so that's something I had to learn. Like David can't always come in and just be business daddy. Um, and <laughs> I like that term. I like that term, business daddy. <laughs> I can. I have to trust. Like I'm there if if there's really a power. Like if there's really a problem or a miscommunication, like I can come in to add color. But usually, I'm just coming in to add levity. If yeah. anything, that, that's kind of the position that I want to be in where it's yeah. just like, I trust my team so much. They have the shit on lock. So then I can just come in and crack jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and support them at some point, you know, and, and there's going to be somebody who's going to listen to this podcast and they may not agree with how you say it or I say it, but at some point uh, I want to, once I've, I'm, I'm building, I'm not building a practice. I'm building a business. And I'm not building a practice where everything is centered around me. And I'm that guy that you need to come to all the time. That's a practice. That's a dental office. I'm building a business where we got processes in place and that people can learn to be successful uh, and also be effective in their position. I want our team members to feel the weight of their position and own it. And when they own it, they get rewarded for it. You know, Um, you know, like you, I mean, we went remote in January of this year. And it all started for us when, you know, I had um, three long-term team members who had been with me within the span of a year, you know, I'm talking some three-year people and an eight-year person. And when they left, it was, uh, for me, it was like, holy shit, I need to get my stuff together, you know? And then I had to think like the world's changing, but I did not. I stood still while it was moving and you pay the ultimate price by losing your biggest investment, which is your people, you know? So I had to shape my ass up and, you know, there's some things that, you know, you, I got to change my thought process on, uh, 
and 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 grow and mature and, and but i've learned to listen more like i can tell you like our um for example like we have two different companies like our production team they don't need me much i coach one and you know he oversees it and and the way i'm trying to make it i'm passing it to him um but you know he you know, he, he, he's the only one that I coach and he coaches the rest of the team. And I'm hoping that I can, can instill enough in him so that it trickles down for them. And do they hear from me? Absolutely. You know? Um, but you know, as far as the, you know, they hear the vision from me and that's it. And he's executing, you know, but you know, it's, 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 it's what we try and do, man. It's what we try and do. Empowering. I mean, you kind of want to, you want to empower your team enough to essentially kind of almost back yourself out of the business to an extent Mm -hmm. out of the main, like, and that was the biggest learning lesson for me as, as a young leader was learning that my creativity was going to be expressed, not in how hands-on I was with the actual work, but with how I grew and empowered my team. Yep. And that's why, like, to this day, you know, if somebody says, hey, what is the proudest project um, or something in your career, the thing that brings tears to my eyes, what I say is the proudest moment was when my business partner, Doug, uh, when he told me that uh, he was engaged. Um and then the second proudest, or maybe it's tied, was when he said that he was pregnant. They were pre- expecting a kid because uh, to start something, notion of what it could be, and yeah. then grind, and then grind together, yeah, and just build and the, know the faith that he invested in me and the faith I invested in him, and to see him reach a point where he felt secure enough in what we had been building and what we built together to take those really big steps in another part of his life. Like that is, there is nothing that uh, can really supplant that feeling to me. Um, There's no work or award. And so that's, that's what we're, you know, is you're trying to build something that supports people and ultimately that empowers people to to do the work for us and uh it's a journey to learn how to let go and it's a journey to love but once once you do you realize that like it is also just trusting yourself you hire these people right you hire these people yeah you calculus what the fuck did you hire them for if you're not going to let them do the work you're you're like in in if you micromanage if you disempower anything like that you're not just affecting them mm-hmm. you are questioning yourself and you're questioning your own discretion mm. to hire people if you saw something you have to kind of commit to it you have to see that through yeah. You have to give it the opportunity because otherwise, like, it's not just, it's not just how it affects them. I mean, that's, yeah. that's probably yeah. the first thing you yeah. think of, but it's actually what it says about your own confidence in yourself and your decision-making. Mm. 
You know what? I, I think we're going to end it here, but I'm going to leave it with this one last phrase that one of my good buddies said. He said, you got to let go to grow. Oh my God. I might steal that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to let go to grow. You know what I'm saying? David, man, you know, it, it's always amazing talking to you, man. Always, always. I enjoy it so much, man. Um, you know, I know we stayed in touch on social media and, and things like that too, man, but uh, I'm, I'm proud of what you and you guys have been doing at Boca. Um, and also, man, you've been off the social scene for a little bit too, right? And you just popping back up on social media. I saw something saying, here's what we've been working on. <laughs> and we, we are, we are kind of notoriously bad at, at keeping things like up to date, but, but we're trying to get back. We're about to launch our new website within the mm -hmm. next week or which I'm so excited about. Um, and been putting a lot of work into that. So probably by the time, uh, this podcast is, is live, our new website will be to bokeh.agency yeah. and this is like the biggest, uh, this is the first time that I feel like are reflecting the agency that we always wanted sort of to be like, yeah, both in terms of, you know, Good who stuff. we are culturally and, and sort of like the way we want to look. So I'm super excited about that, but yeah, just trying to, you know, my big focus right now is having conversations like this, meeting people, getting back into the real world and, and grabbing as many copies with people as possible uh, until 100%. they don't want to, until they don't want to grab coffee with a, a little <laughs> furry Jewish man like me, like, like when they're tired of that, that's when, uh, oh my that's gosh, when I know David. it might be time to switch gears. But man, I, I love talking to you. These are always so like uh, interesting. You know, we, we touch upon so many different topics. Maybe we'll have to do a part three sometime. I don't know. But uh, maybe like, if we do know, part three, it's got to be in person. How about that? That's some pressure for you right there. Uh, it looks like I'm coming to, I'm coming to Charleston, right? <laughs> <laughs> got it. Man, David, man, other than that, tell the audience, man, what's next on the horizon for you and Boca, man. Tell them what's happening. And I, was, I also want you to shout out that website address again. I mean, on, on our horizon right now, I mean, the big thing is we're doing a lot of internal work. We've been doing a lot of in, internal stuff. So our website, bokeh.agency, is going to launch within the next couple of weeks. So like I said, probably by the time you're listening to this, you check out bokeh.agency. Yeah. You can see what we're about. You're going to be greeted like the first thing. It's going to tell you exactly who we are. We are not ad people. And then from there, you can you can really dive in to learn a little bit about our story and, and some of the, the work we've done. And then for myself, it's just sort of getting out there, you know, have a couple of speaking gigs in, in the upcoming months where, you know, trying to start to get on the conference circuit um, and uh, trying to explore a lot of the topics that we've, we've talked about, you know, here, whether it's, whether yeah. it's talking about building, uh, just had a, had a ad week uh, piece, you know, go live, I think yesterday, good, talking, good about, talking about that you know, how to avoid that blame game, that agency blame game, um, and mm. really building relationships fostered in, in empathy and, and putting in that work. So just trying mm. to, to get some of these opinions out there to see like if any of these insights, if anything that you could be, that you could call wisdom, because apparently now I'm like a thought leader or some shit, I don't know. But like if, if any of that is helpful. <laughs> 
Oh, oh man. That's, that's awesome, man. David, man, it's so good to talk to you. And I want to thank our listeners for giving us their, their most valuable asset, David, and that is their time. Uh, again, go follow David and his company. He runs a great shop, man. He's an even better guy, and he's funny as hell. Um, so check him out. I want to thank you guys again for listening to the AdCast. If you think this podcast has been great and you found some use in into it, um, share it out. Give us a rating because um, I know David's going to do that as soon as he's done. He's going to give us a podcast rating too. All right. This is the AdCast. Hey guys, I'm back. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the AdCast. If you didn't, go online, give me a review and tell me how you want us to make it better for you. And if you did, give us a five-star rating anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. But I want to thank you for your most valuable asset. That's your time. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the AdCast and stay tuned for another hot episode coming up soon.